My name is Rachel Iba. I'm a violinist and educator, and it is my pleasure to welcome you here to Upbeat Live here at the Walt Disney Concert Hall. And tonight we have the wonderful American virtuoso Monica Chaus Bernie. <laughs> um, here with her Disney Hall debut. And I heard you warming up a little bit. I guess I can come over here. We don't need this. <laughs> um, Heard you warming up a little bit. How does the, the Rosales organ feel? It feels incredible. Um, <laughs> you know, I read about this hall, of course, before showing up, and, and Gary talks a lot about like wanting to make the space feel good for the players so that they play better. Mm. And that's a really noble goal, I think, for any builder, for any architect. And I wasn't sure it would extend to the organ, but it surely has. It, feels wonderful to play. Um, and, and you were saying backstage that you're particularly familiar with Rosales organs. Um, could you tell us a little bit about some of the other ones you've played on and how this compares? Definitely. Um, I went to school at Rice, which houses a fabulous Rosales organ built in conjunction with Fisk, another well-renowned builder. Um, so I spent five years practicing all night and getting to know that instrument. And my church, Dov, um, is home to a really beautiful um, Rosales tracker organ that he built in 1994. Um, so I definitely feel like I have developed um, an ear for what Manuel likes in an organ. Yeah. What would you say distinguishes his organs um, from other instruments? He is really into, and I, I, I fear he may argue with me. <laughs> he definitely has an ear for fiery reeds, a really kind of impactful sound. This instrument in particular, the bass, is really impressive. And on this instrument, I think it's so evident that he spent so much care and attention voicing it over a long period of time that there is that fire that we crave with a Rosales organ, but there's also so much kind of refinement and elegance and good taste that to have both of those things at one time is just so unique and wonderful. Yeah, and that's a perfect segue into your program, which is quite a diverse range of, of music. Um, so I know we'll be seeing the, the huge spectrum of sonic possibility on full display. How do you go about choosing repertoire for your performances? I like to play things that I like to hear. I, I don't want to just play Franck and Bach and call it good. <laughs> so I think we'll have lots of opportunities to play with color and texture in kind of maybe controversial ways, but mm -hmm. also like very fantastical ways. I mean, we're in Disney Hall. Like this is, I think, the perfect pairing of, of play and also refinement. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and maybe we can even have you demonstrate some of these stops on the organ a, a little bit later. But yeah, getting into the music on the program. So we open with Capustin Sinfonietta. So he's known primarily for his piano music, and this is a transcription that you said was a, a pandemic project. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because there are only obviously four staves in the score, and as an organist, I always read three, and it's the first transcription that I've literally had to write now. 
Wow. I'm just removing one staff, but there's so much detail and complexity that like it really kind of required that. But I just feel so attached to his music, maybe in part because I had a good friend in undergrad who played a lot of Capustin and always practiced in the organ hall. So there were just like strains of this jazzy wonderfulness wafting mm-hmm. at all times. Yeah, and just a little bit about Kapustin. He was born in Ukraine in 1937 um, and uh, studied at the Moscow Conservatory as a pianist and w- developed quite a reputation as a jazz pianist. So I think it's such a wonderful way to start your very eclectic program because his music itself is a really an amalgam of classical and jazz style. But one of the interesting things we were talking about backstage, Kapustin did not identify as a jazz musician or jazz composer. All of his music is very specifically notated. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it definitely it plays like classical music. There are like occasional moments where you can kind of groove a little bit, but then you're like, all right, what's next? I gotta you know, get all the details. It's way harder than I expected. Yeah. And actually, this Sinfonietta, because it was originally scored for a chamber orchestra, is honestly more like simplistic in its Mm. textures than most of his music, which I don't think would translate quite as well to the organ. Right. Because it relies so much on like the the sense of like hammer of the piano and like the rhythmic impetus that we just don't have on the organ. Right, yeah. I was wondering if a lot of the, you hear this wonderful kind of bouncing bass line underneath that you would imagine in a jazz combo, some upright player just slapping away at the the, the strings. Is that gonna be played with your feet? Yes. Yeah, yeah. The entire left hand is played with the feet, and I I try to be faithful to like all of the leaps, and it's like it's probably the most acrobatic pedal line I've ever played. (laughs) Yeah. So you guys will know to uh, keep a lookout for the feet in the in the opening work. Okay. So after that, we have the Mendelssohn. How how long have you been living with with this piece and? I have loved this piece forever. I feel like I've played it more than maybe anything else. I think it it fits, you know, what we're kind of searching for with, you know, the kind of what we expect to hear at an organ concert. But it's also incredibly orchestral. There are so many opportunities to showcase the different instruments on this organ. And um, I don't know, I think it's just clever and wonderful and maybe not quite finished, Mm, but I like the sense of like, rough edges because Mendelssohn to me is yeah. sometimes so polished mm. that I, I have trouble relating <laughs> to it and I, I kind of like the little bit of grunge around the edge. Yeah. <laughs> and we were talking a little bit backstage the piece that follows probably the most famous organ work of all time the Bach D minor Toccata and Fugue. Um, uh, we feel like the Mendelssohn very much refers back to Bach in a way he's sort of exploring that older style of contrapuntal writing, whereas Bach, whose piece was written over a hundred years beforehand, um, is really innovating. I mean, um, am I correct that it would have been very unusual in Bach's time to have this kind of virtuosic uh, solo piece for the organ? Bach was ever the innovator and um, was certainly too progressive for his time um, as an organist composer. 
Um, it is a different D minor Toccata, I have to say. Oh, it's not okay. the one you're thinking. But, oh, okay, I didn't realize, yeah. But the textures relate yet even closer oh. to the Mendelssohn in this D minor Toccata. Interesting, <laughs> so interesting. Me. It's not Halloween yet, <laughs> but it is wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was a funny quote I had found about uh, Mendelssohn, we know mostly as a pianist, but um, he absolutely loved the organ, wrote a lot of really wonderful organ works, and it, there's all this writing about him sort of traveling all over Europe and just begging people, like, please let me play your organ, please let me, let me in. He's always trying to get his hands on an organ. Um, there's a, a funny quote from one of his letters he's describing. This is when he was visiting Goethe in 1830 in Weimar. And he says, uh, so he very politely listens to the music director of the church play the organ. And then he says, when my turn came, I let loose with the D minor toccata of Bach. Who knows which one it was? <laughs> but I uh, had hardly started playing when the superintendent dispatched his valet downstairs with the message that this playing had to be stopped right away because it was a weekday and he could not study with that much music going on. <laughs> Poor Mendelssohn, always making a ruckus. <laughs> okay, so then um, we'll take a short break. You'll have a chance to rest your hands and, and feet for a moment. <laughs> and when we return, uh, Jean, uh, Jean, de Monsieur. I've been practicing. Jean de Monsieur. Jean de Monsieur. Um, her Te Deum. Can you tell us a little bit about this piece? Totally. So the Te Deum is one of our ecumenical creeds. There are 150 of them. Um, when, when we go to worship, there's a time in the service where we profess all that we believe. Um, and that is the time of usually the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. We believe in God the Father Almighty. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son. We believe in blah, 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 all of these things. The Te Deum is a prayer just like that, and it's a little bit more poetic. It begins, um, we praise you, O God, and we bless you. It talks about the company of saints praise you, the glorious army of martyrs praise you. Uh, maybe you'll look it up on your phone before the program and just <laughs> yeah. read through this prayer. It's pretty wonderful. Um, wow. So this is her musical reflection on the prayer. And um, for a prayer of praise, it's not very jubilant. It's a little right. bit spicy. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And Jean was a you know, kind of radical woman role model. Yeah. She... Uh, according to Marcel Dupre, uh, was the greatest thing since sliced bread. Yeah. Uh, my words, not his, but <laughs> she once did a tour to the U.S. and played 25 different programs, all from memory, and didn't bring a single <laughs> score with her. <laughs> she played in high heels. She um, endured so much sexism and, you know, kind of people trying to beat her down, and she just kind of did her own thing. Yeah, and I, I think it's interesting, as I was starting to research her, you look, you look her up and see her picture, and she's this very nice-looking, like, elegant French woman, and, you know, she's a devout Catholic, and then you hear her music, and it's quite dark, quite angsty, almost, I feel, a bit sardonic. Completely, yeah. and, and she was chastised for being too masculine in her wow. sound, like, yeah. her entire life. 
I wonder if it's possible. Um, I have like a clip of the um, original Gregorian to Deum. Mm -hmm. Could we do that and then have you play just a little of the opening? Sure. All right. And you can see how she's really going back to the source here, um, taking the contour of the opening melody directly from the chant. Okay. So here is the original. <laughs> The relationship there, but obviously a very different a different spin on it. Um, one of the things I was noticing a little bit, and uh, maybe you can illuminate this even further, looking at the score, a lot of the voicings have a lot of perfect intervals, mm -hmm. uh, which was a, a feature of a lot of medieval plain song that gave it that sort of pure quality. And this stems from a long tradition of church music in which the church actually found some intervals to be a corrupting influence. They were worried if our harmonies were too rich, it would lead us straight into to if, sin. If there were too many hidden tritones, the <laughs> devil was, you know, ever present. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but this sense of, like, modality um, yeah. was a long tradition in French improvisation. Mm. You look back at, you know, Durafle and Dupre and even Vidor and Franck, and they, they often mix modes mm. and it's not purely tonal. It doesn't sound anything like Mendelssohn, right? Yeah. It, it kind of uses its own musical language and everybody has their own kind of flavor of it. Um, and I think De Monsieur is particularly spicy, um, <laughs> but it's, it's not particularly earth shattering given yeah. kind of the tradition that she sort of lived in at the time. Yeah, absolutely. And then after that, we have a really interesting piece by Najee Hakim, a living composer, uh, written in 2009, The Arabesques. How did you encounter this piece? I just love Hakim. I've played a lot of Hakim. Um, and I often, I look for pieces that can help me play with color. Um, and I'm going to disregard pretty much everything that he asks for in this piece, so... <laughs> have you, uh, do you know him personally, or...? I have never met him, but, um, I would love to someday. <laughs> I yeah. play a lot of your music, hi! <laughs> um, I think it's just a really attractive toe tappin piece. Yeah. Um, it kind of scratches an itch for me, <laughs> and, um, and gives me kind of a canvas to play. Yeah, and, and speaking of that, we were talking a little bit about um, Hakim is a Lebanese composer, 
um, just sort of the influence from some Lebanese folk music. I'm wondering if I could ask you to go over to the organ again, if I could play some of uh, an example of some Lebanese folk music and then have you play the opening, I also have it recorded if you prefer not to, um, of the Libanese mm -hmm. and then the Rondo. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, I'm a big proponent of learning to feel music physically, so I'm gonna have us clapping some rhythms. You'll notice in both the folk music and the beautiful Hakim work we're hearing tonight, we find this rhythm one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two. So I wonder if we can all just groove this for a sec. And one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. All right, here's the folk song. See if you can find that groove, clap, clap along. Awesome, and now the Libanese. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> so you feel that rhythm in there. And then if you're listening, if we could also just do a tiny bit of the last movement. Um, it's in here also, though much faster. Let's see if we can catch it, just a little bit of the opening. Yeah. One, two, three, one, two, three, one. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful, thank you. Okay, and then our very last piece, the grand finale, um, the Tchaikovsky. Um, and it, this is one, um, did you transcribe it or it's an adaption of a transcription? It's an adaption of a transcription. <laughs> yeah. um, Jean Guillou, who passed in 2019, um, was probably the most eccentric personality we have of late in the organ community. Um, he had an ear for color like nobody's business. And um, he arranged only this movement, which I think is wonderful because in an orchestra concert, everyone wants to stand up and clap and leave. <laughs> But of yeah. course, you have one more to go. Yeah. Um, so I love the idea of just playing that which you want to play. Exactly. And I mean, if you're going to play one movement to end a concert from this symphony, I mean, um, one of the really unusual things, if you're familiar with uh, Tchaikovsky 6, is that this piece, the ending of which, um, and I'll just play a little bit of the symphonic version, um, just sounds like everything you could ever want in a grand finale. Oh, whoops, that's the act. Hang on. <laughs> uh, here we go.
So it's a really interesting. Guillou's arrangement like uses way more notes and chords oh, really? and yeah. things to kind of build <laughs> excitement in a way that's kind of a little bit more pianistic, really not even yeah. organistic. Uh, so yeah, listen closely to the ending because it doesn't sound much like that actually. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's like ascending, um, like chord major chords by half step in both hands. Um, it's kind of a fireworks party. Yeah, and so as an organist, when you're uh, transcribing a piece, um, do you, is there a lot of freedom in terms of musical choices because you're writing for an instrument? For which it wasn't intended. Yes and no, it's yeah. it's really interesting when you're playing transcriptions. You sort of have to make a decision. Am I going to try to commit to what the composer was looking for, or am I going to maybe honor the arranger in a special mm-hmm. way? And I've kind of tried to do both here. Um, there is lots of kind of color and texture and guillou-like mutations. Um, mutations on the organ are stops that kind of add partials that aren't the fundamental pitch. Mm-hmm. So if you play it by itself, it just sounds like the wrong note. But when you pair it with some of its friends, mm-hmm. um, you can tell that there's a little bit of um, maybe cilantro on top. But you know, you you yeah. can tell that it's avocado, yeah. right? You're not just eating cilantro and thinking this is silly. Um. <laughs> No, absolutely. Um, yeah, so uh, fanciful and divine. I think this is a program that's really going to showcase such a, an amazing spectrum of sonic possibility in the organ, of this particular organ. Um, are there any uh, particular challenges to playing on this organ that you were unexpected for you? No. <laughs> it's been a dream. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny, I, I spoke with Chelsea recently who played the last program. I don't know if any of you guys heard it. And, and she said, oh, I used every minute of practice I could get. And I'm like thinking, oh, no. Because <laughs> sometimes organs just fight you. Right. It's, it's not how we want it to be, but it sometimes is the case. Or the console design is bad, and you just you're you're just fighting. <laughs> um, and I don't know. It feels great to play. It kind of everything does what you want it to do. Yeah. Um, the the choices surely are infinite, but you can arrive at a really delightful choice without too much work. Um, so listen for kind of all of the unique soloistic colors because um, we're going to hear a lot of unusual ones, I think, in the course of this program. Wonderful. I can't wait. Please give a huge hand for Monica Chaus-Bernie. <laughs>